Gracious Jesus, we thank you that you are the rock. We thank you for all that you've done for us, and we thank you that we get to see, as we open up obscure parts of the Old Testament, your mercy and your love over and over and over again to your people. So show us what you have for us today. Send your Holy Spirit through your words that you might point us continually to your Son, Jesus, who lived and died and rose for us. And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are on week two of Hosea. There are a few that get two weeks this summer, and most get one. So week two of Hosea, he is the first of the 12, what called minor prophets, which really are one whole book, or they went on one scroll. And the first three chapters of Hosea tells the story of his life, and that really paints the picture for the whole rest of the 12, 11, 12 books of what's going on and what unfolds. And if you remember, God asks Hosea, and that was the first part of chapter 1 we read again today, God asks Hosea to do something hard. God makes an object lesson out of his life. He asks Hosea to be a living picture of God's relationship to his people, Israel. And in part, it's because the story of the Bible is a story of restoration. It is of God restoring what's broken. So at the beginning, God creates everything good. It's good. God looks at everything and says it's good. He looks at Adam and Eve and says it's very good. And yet something breaks. What breaks? Well, God tells him to do one thing. He says, trust me. So when God says, don't eat from this tree, he's really saying, trust me. Trust me and worship me. So what gets broken first is their heart. And you get all the way to Hosea later is where we are now. It talks about God's heart being broken because God's people have walked away. So that's what happened. God's people's heart broke when they walked away, and then God's heart breaks. And why is his heart breaking? It's because his people have trusted something other than God. They've looked for their joy and their meaning and their value in something other than God. Because the lie from Satan is the same to Adam and Eve as it is to you and me. It's this will make your life better. You need this. Whatever it is, whatever gets held in front of you, you need this. Adam and Eve believed it, and we believe it. But yet God in that moment still loved them and promised to restore them. So here's the short version of the history or the storyline of the Bible. Creation, fall, everything breaks, but then God says, I will restore and I will send a Savior. I will put things back the way they're supposed to be. So God forgives them. God loves them. You see God's mercy over and over throughout the entire Old Testament, New Testament, throughout the entire Scriptures. And yet you have God's people looking somewhere else to find the joy and the meaning that only God can give. So let's expand that a little bit. I've shown you that a number of times. Here, I know it's harder to see. Maybe the pictures are easier. So expand it a little bit. We've gone from Adam and Eve, perfect creation, broken. Now, we're all the way the arrow is basically where Hosea is. You have creation, patriarchs, exodus, conquest, judges, kingdom, exile, return, and then New Testament, gospels, church, missions, future, Kingdom. God's people are in two kingdoms now. We've talked a bit about that, northern and southern. And here's Hosea, 730 or so B.C., before Christ. And God has some words for his people. And they're the same words he gave them 700 years before that. 
when he brought them out of Egypt. What were those words? Remember, God saved his people from Egypt, then brings them to Mount Sinai, and then gives them the Ten Commandments. But what does God say to them? Here's what he says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Typo, sorry. Brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I have saved you and done everything. Now be my people and trust me. Well, this ends up in our catechism this way. So catechism review time. Read it with me. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all. Okay, that was a B, B plus. I want a little better than that. Let's try it again. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So God told His people this back in Exodus. So 700 plus years when we get to Hosea, how are they doing? Yeah, not good. So, not, not good at all. We looked at this last week, so to recap a bit, there's what God asked Hosea to do. He said, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. God, who loves his people intensely and wants nothing more than to dwell with his people, is heartbroken when they walk away. And this went on for hundreds of years, generation upon generation. God is gracious and merciful, compassionate, abounding in steadfast love. We've seen that over and over again through His Word and through His prophets. And yet here, He has to show them live an image of what they're doing. And so we ask Hosea to marry a woman with a history and reputation and then hoping that His love cures all that. It doesn't come true. She is unfaithful. They have three children together, and then, and then uh, she is unfaithful, and then he has to go back and buy her back out of slavery at his own cost. And God says, this is all the picture of what I've done for you. So remember, uh, in this metaphor, Hosea is like God, and God's people, you and me included, are like his wife, Gomer. You see what God is saying to us. God is saying that when you and I make things more important than God, we are like that. We are like a promiscuous woman going after things other than her faithful husband. When we take things in our own life and elevate them above God, we are like a woman who is not satisfied with her husband but keeps looking elsewhere. When God isn't enough for you and me, God is saying we are like Gomer. And when you and I have that thing that we just can't live without, that captivates our heart and mind, and you just have to have, we are like Gomer. The problem with God's people in Hosea's day is the same problem that you and I face today. While we say we trust God and we do, our hearts wander around every day looking for something else to trust in as if God isn't enough. We look for something else to to make us happy, and really it's something else to give us what only God can give. And yes, the biblical word is idolatry, and that was what was going on with God's people in Hosea's day and our day. So let's talk about some. 
Last week, that's what I said we would unpack a bit today. An easy one that you just saw about is sports. I think it's easy for us to think, well, if I'm good at this sport, man, I, I will have made it. Or we can even pressure our kids to be good at sports so that you can even you know, feel better about yourselves. We do all sorts of things that, that really idolize sport. Now, I, I have to come clean. I, I love sports. I still play. I, I watch. I'm very much enjoying watching the Women's World Cup. I try to watch as much as I can while it's going on right now. But I remember when I was in high school, my soccer team, club team, sometimes had tournaments over weekends and sometimes games on Sundays. And many times at an out-of-town tournament, a game on Sunday, my dad found a nearby church, found worship times, and made us go to worship. And sometimes it was in uniform immediately after a game to a Saturday night service. And I remember complaining, Dad, we can pray anywhere. Why do we got to do this? Or after the fact, Dad, the sermon was boring and there was no communion and we don't know anybody. What's the, why do we have to go? I did, you, you think I didn't say that? I did. <laughs> and he was calm and patient and, and said, this is what Christians do. We worship God. And he was teaching me that no matter how much time soccer might ask for, it can never fill the spot in my soul that is shaped like Jesus. Another easy idol is money. We think if I have enough of it, then I can keep my worries away. I can feel secure or successful or powerful, but really it's to keep worry away. And some of you think, if I just have you know, this number in the bank, then I won't worry anymore. But that's not true. Whatever number is in your head, if money is your idol, it'll never be enough. Now, money's not really bad or good. It, it, it can do a lot of good. It's at least neutral. You see, money has the power to change lives. It can provide living wages. It can provide people to have an education. It can take people out of poverty. Money can provide blessings to societies and so many people. Money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. If money is what's in the center of your soul, you'll never have enough. You'll be greedy. You'll cut ethical corners to get more. But if Jesus is in that spot, you'll be content no matter what you have. You'll be generous. And you'll realize that everything you have is God's and it's just on loan to you for a little while. Family. Family can be an easy idol too. Children are a huge blessing from God. Children are a huge blessing, but also terrible masters. Yes, children reorient your life when you have them, but they shouldn't run your heart. Only Jesus can do that. But sometimes we start to think, well, if I just do everything for my kids, get them a perfect education, put them in sports, get them lessons, then they'll turn out okay, and then I know that I'm a good person. And you can see how the scandal happens of parents trying to pay more money to get their children into the right places. So you can have your identity tied to your children. So when they are successful, you feel successful. But when they fail, you feel like a failure. Maybe the most widespread American idol is work or success. We say, I matter as a person if I produce and so productivity is our buzzword and probably our idol. 
We say things like, well, if my peers respect me or if I, increasing, I keep increasing sales or I keep getting promoted, then I know I'm, I'm worth something. And guess what? Work is good. Adam and Eve were created to work in the garden. We were created for work. Again, work is good, but it's a terrible God. If work runs your soul, you'll never be good enough, you'll never have done enough, and it will kill your body and it will poison your soul, and someday your career will be over, and then what? And here's maybe a harder one to define for us, and that is the approval of others. Maybe you want to be liked by everyone, and maybe you want to be liked by everyone so much that you'll bend over backwards in every way just so that people approve of you. Now, it's okay to want to be liked. That's not a bad thing. What if it comes at the cost of having to compromise what you believe and hold dear? And whose approval would you rather, God's or a friend's? You see, we can make an idol out of anything, and they're usually good things. So what is it for you? What can't you live without, or so you think? What thing in your life, if you lose, you'd wonder if life's not so good anymore, not worth living? Or what do you daydream about? Or what's something that you feel like you just can't say no to? See, here's the thing. Anything we make an idol out of is usually a good thing. And you even have that in the book of Hosea. It's not a bad thing to be economically good and successful and life-going. Those aren't bad things. We can make an idol out of many good things, many godly things, but here's the thing. They cannot fill the spot in your soul that is shaped like Jesus. They can't. They promise that they can, but they can't deliver. Idols promise big, but deliver little. And guess what? Jesus delivers everything he promises. Jesus promises to give you new life, give you a new identity, and he lays his own down to give it to you. So don't ask money to do something only Jesus can do for you. Don't ask your children or your spouse to do something for you that only Jesus can. Don't ask your career or your physical appearance to do for you something that only Jesus can and only Jesus has. You see, your heart will never, never settle, never rest until Jesus alone is that spot in your heart and is your Lord and Savior. And until Jesus alone is your God, nothing will fill that spot. And, and as St. Augustine says, you'll always be searching for it and your heart will not rest. You see, if you try to fill it with something other than Jesus, Hosea tells us, or God tells us in Hosea, we are like Gomer. You and I are made in God's image to be in relationship with God, and only God can fill that, that spot. But when we try to put other things there, we are like Gomer. That means we are like an adulterous spouse running away from our faithful one. But guess what? Your heart can rest and relax and rejoice in God. Why? Here's why. Because even in your idolatry, God loves you. That's what we see in Hosea. Remember what we learned last week? This is how it sum up the whole book. You can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love. God's heartbroken that his people have walked away and walked away and walked away, but he still loves them. 
Yes, God allows judgment and consequences to occur for their sin over and over again, but God still loves His people. And, he, and even as He's speaking words of judgment, words of love just pour out of His heart. You can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love. So here's how we saw it in chapter 2. We looked at chapter 1 last week. Here's how it is in chapter 2. God says, after words, harsh words, then says to His people who He's calling idolatrous and unfaithful, then He says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. That's His people, you and me. I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. And that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband, you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. God says, I will remove those things that you want to go after that are far smaller and far less than me. No longer will their names be invoked. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. So you can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love, which is why God, here He is, hundreds of years along with His people, heartbroken yet still loving and forgiving. And, and 700 plus years after Hosea is when God sends His Son, He goes Himself, yes, brokenhearted, but not broken in love, to live and die and rise for you. So you can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love. But because of what He's done for you, you can fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Only God has earned that from you. You see, even in your idolatry, God loves you because God is love from the first page of the Bible to the last, from the beginning of time and to the end. And even when you and I are a wandering spouse, God loves you. Jesus is the one who sees everything in your heart and loves you anyway and dies for you anyway and rises for you anyway and reigns on the throne of the universe and has promised to come back for you. And that stuff that you try to hide from anyone else and everyone else, Jesus sees it and he loves you anyway and he died for you anyway so that he could have that spot in your heart. You can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love but because of what he's done, you can fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So I'm going to make you say it one more time because I want you to know it. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Now may the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.